G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. A little earlier this week, we opened a conversation around the idea that we all need to have correction to our vision. A little like sitting at the optometrist, who makes you focus on a row of letters and works out that what you can see clearly and what you can't. And when everything looks blurry, the optometrist then drops down a lens that brings all the letters into focus, and it feels like magic. Well, it can be much the same in our Christian walk as we mature. We recognize that some things that we thought were clear and right are brought into a whole new light and clarity when exposed to biblical truth and an experience of the power of God in our lives. So let's be real. Christians see things differently to non-Christians, but just how different That's where we're going today as we explore the idea that maybe we are often oblivious to the spiritual realities around us and no one better to talk through some of these issues than Bill Muhlenberg, a prolific writer, Christian cultural commentator. His website is called Culture Watch. For the last 10 years, I think it is, Mm. we've been doing a regular update on a Friday I call it our Culture Watch segment, and Bill Muhlenberg, who we usually talk to from Melbourne, finds himself in Brisbane today and sitting opposite me in the studio. Bill, welcome along. Great to be here. Bill, you are at the Wednesday night Church and State Summit in Melbourne. You've made the journey north. You've gotten off the plane. You're ready to be one of the speakers at the Church and State Summit tonight in Brisbane. It's on tonight and tomorrow. Give us your impressions as to how the Melbourne event went. Yeah, it was quite good. Uh, It's actually one of four events. It began the the tour in Auckland, uh, Melbourne the next day, Sydney yesterday, and today for two days Today and tomorrow, Brisbane. So it's been going already for uh, a while. Uh, Dave Pello of Church and State here in Brisbane has been organizing these. Uh, I think it first started, uh, well, this is the third year now in Brisbane, and I think the first year where he's had other cities as part of this conference. So, yeah, I was at the Melbourne one, all-day uh, uh, affair in which I spoke, along with some other terrific speakers. And, uh, yeah, I'll be sharing, uh, well, actually my, I think session is tomorrow afternoon, but yeah, uh, plenty of great, uh, speakers lined up. We've got Michael Brown from the U.S. as the keynote speaker, but all kinds of great people, uh, liberal, uh, senators like Erica Betts. We got Bindi Cole Chaka, who's got an amazing story of, uh, being a former hardcore lefty and non-believer with a very rough background, who's now, uh, Christian and a conservative. She's famous for taking Andrew Bolt to court, actually. So she'll be on tonight. So, yeah, a lot of great speakers. I encourage all of your listeners, if they got not much on today and tomorrow, 
head over to uh, the conference, and I believe it's in Springwood, and enjoy a lot of great speakers. And you know what? I think there are still some seats available. You do need to register, and there is a church and state summit website where you can do that. So I'd encourage listeners around southeast Queensland, even into northern New South Wales, if you can make it to the Church and State Summit, you'll be doing yourself a favour. Hey, Bill, we're going to be talking today about the natural world and the spiritual world. You've been blogging about these issues this past week. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sort of thinking... This is not the usual bill that I'm used to reading. Is this something that uh, you've had some, you know, has there been a really deeper insight into some of these issues, talking about the power of God and the mm. spiritual world? Or is it there, there's a side of Bill Muhlenberg that doesn't come out when you're talking often about your political discussions? Well, good question. I mean, I do have uh, over 5,000 articles, so you can imagine quite a spread when you get that many pieces. Sure, a lot of what I write about and a lot of what you and I talk about are the culture wars, obviously, whether it's the battle for human life or marriage and family, human sexuality, uh, you name it. There's, you know, we can do these every day of the week and uh, still have need for more. So, yeah, that's kind of my normal stuff. I guess you say I'm a culture warrior and all that. However, if you do look at my uh, website, Culture Watch, you'll see about 85 different uh, subject categories, and included there is uh, one section called Sermons and Devotionals. So I actually do, I don't know, there's several hundred easily uh, pieces along those lines, which, yeah, maybe I've simply... um, in my morning reading, something really jumped out in Scripture, and I thought, oh, i got to write a piece on that. So that often happens. So, yeah, this past week I've done a few along those lines. Um, yeah, different things. I will explain in more detail as we look at these articles. But uh, partly, as I mentioned, I think in both of the articles in question, I had been in Africa not all that long ago. I wanted to ask you about your African experience, because I'm not sure whether that was your first visit to Africa, and you're quite well-traveled, but you discovered something a little deeper in the spirituality of the African people that you met that is something of a contrast to what we're used to in our very secularized nation of Australia. What was the difference? Mm. Yeah, well, I actually had been to North Africa some years ago as a part of a shorter missionary trip, Tunisia. So I had been there, but this is the first time in what we call sub-Saharan Africa, so in Ghana for a week uh, late last year. I was invited to speak at a number of conferences, uh, pro-family, pro-life conferences. So that was a great time to be there. Um uh, Ghana's an interesting place. It's it's mostly Christian. Uh, the majority would be Christian. Uh, some Muslims, some traditional tribal religions, but majority of the population is Christian. And in fact, many of the political leaders of the nation are Christian. So that's it's kind of a unique role in that sense. There's a few other places where God is certainly at work in Africa. So, yeah, being there, mingling with all these African Christians and seeing what God was doing there, it just reminded me again of something I already knew and we at least know in theory, and that is, well, I hate to say it, the West can often have a fairly, oh, well, you know, lukewarm, nominal church scene. Uh, 
everything is so easy and smooth and, you know, laid back in the West. We haven't had real hardcore persecution as yet. So as is often the case, and we simply see this in the Old Testament as well, when things go along swimmingly, uh, your faith can easily, uh, you know, relax and ease up and you lose your cutting edge. The power of God seems to kind of slowly disappear. You just blend in with the rest of the world. And, you know, the church is often indistinguishable from the world. But when I was in Africa, reminded once again, but boy, these guys, I mean, Africans as a people are very attuned to the supernatural, to the spiritual. They know there are spiritual battles going on. You know, we've almost lost sight of the supernatural here in the West. We've, you know, we claim to be Christians. We believe in God, the supernatural, angels, demons. You know, we have that in our head. But do we actually live as if that's real, that there are real demons on assignment attacking believers, that God is here to do powerfully on our behalf? You know, we we believe it. But do we live it? So in Ghana, you know, I just saw these powerful Christians living in powered lives. You know, they were not futzing around with lukewarm Christianity. They were not compromising with the world. In fact, they knew that they had to take a stand on the things that the West is being destroyed. And that's partly why I was invited. You know, what about the homosexual juggernaut? How about the threat to life and family? So they wanted to head off what we've already done uh, in the West, and we've done a good job of destroying ourselves. And as you know, plenty of churches have sadly capitulated on these issues. But in Africa, no way. The, most of them are very strong, very resolute, and they're saying, Bill, help us to not repeat your mistakes. And, I, the, well, the first thing I said in one of my talks is, will you— Forgive us. I ask for your forgiveness. We've let you down in Africa as Western Christians. We should have been standing strong. We should have been holding the line when it comes to homosexual marriage, you name it, but we've blown it. So please forgive us, and you teach us. We need to learn from you about living a powerful, dynamic, spirit-filled life. You guys got so much to offer us. Let's talk about losing sight mm. of reality. I mean, this is part of the issue here. The essence is what do we believe is mm. the reality? What is our experience of the reality? And as I was introducing our segment coming up about half an hour ago, I drew attention to that story in Second Kings of Elisha and his servant. Now, his servant couldn't see the same reality that Elisha the prophet could see. And as we understand the story, here's Elisha. His enemies are after him. They want his head. They surround the city where Elisha is. And in the morning when they get up, the servant goes outside and he looks around and all he can see is the surrounding of the city by the enemy after the head of the prophet. And Elisha takes a very uh, almost blasé approach to it all because he can see something a little deeper and he then says uh, he says don't be afraid those who are with us are more than those who are with them and Elisha prayed open his eyes Lord so that he may see then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha mm. 
here's a very special and important spiritual lesson for us, Bill. What are your reflections? Yeah, well, actually, there's a number of these kinds of stories, certainly found in the Old Testament. <clears throat> there's a lot of these things where there's a maybe a physical battle going on or war between Israel and the enemies, and uh, God has to remind his people back then, hey, there's more to it than just a physical battle. There's actually a spiritual war going on, and... Uh, so just as the Israelites could often, well, lose sight of the spiritual and just kind of look at things in the natural and the flesh, well, Christians today way too often do exactly the same. Uh, in one of my articles I did this week, I, I did a similar story, a familiar story, uh, Balaam and his ass, his mule, right? He had been asked to curse the people of God. We find him riding on his donkey, his mule. Uh, the mule keeps stopping and doesn't keep going, and Balaam keeps getting angry. Three times he strikes the donkey and says, Come on, let's get moving, you dummy. What are you doing? And finally, uh, well, hardcore miraculous, right? The donkey talks back to him and says, Wait a minute, you know, I'm not going anywhere. And, uh, you know, because he had seen the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn standing in the way and so he couldn't go any further and then we have this interesting verse that says and god opened his eyes so that he could see what you know his uh, donkey could see uh I, I, well god's got a sense of humor you know the the animal kingdom has got more spiritual insight sometimes than we do that's for sure and I thought, you know, this is so like us in the West. We, again, proclaim all these spiritual truths of spiritual realities, but half the time we're walking blind. I mean, we just act in the flesh. We walk in the flesh. We see things in the flesh. We do not see the bigger spiritual picture, which we need to see. Um, sure, all the battles we fight, and might be on homosexual marriage, abortion, you name the issue, radical Islam, those are real battles that have to be fought on political, legislative, social, cultural arenas. But as we know, behind all this, there are spiritual battles. So I always say you got to do both. If you ignore one or the other, you're dead meat, spiritually speaking. If you only put all your effort into politics, getting the right party or politician elected, getting you know this bill passed or that bill stopped— and you're not praying, doing spiritual warfare, intercession, you're not going to get far. But if, on the other hand, you spend all your life praying, but you never do some of the practical stuff, you know, contact your politicians, speak out, uh, you know, get involved in the political, social issues of the day. We got to do both. That's the holistic gospel. And so, sadly, in the West, we have kind of a, an anemic spirituality. We tend to either do all the physical, fleshly things, but don't really draw upon the power of God. Or, you know, we may be good at being in the prayer closet, but we're not engaging in other levels as well. So we need to recapture, uh, well, spiritual vision. I'm in the studio right now, big letters that says Vision Christian Radio. We need to recapture the vision of what God has for us, and that is ultimately a spiritual vision, whether there's more with us than against them, or we need our eyes open to see what God is doing in the heavenlies. 
Uh, it's really the need of the hour. So, yeah, I have written a few pieces on, you know, why are we so powerless? Why are we so apathetic and, you know, making so little difference in the culture around us, whereas in so many places in the third world, Africa, Asia, Latin America, well, the church is growing there more than in the West, that's for sure, and they're doing powerful things as well. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour, Bill Muhlenberg from Culture Watch. He's in Brisbane today, one of the speakers at the Church and State Summit, churchandstate.com.au, to be a part of that. It's on tonight and tomorrow in Brisbane, south side of Brisbane. Bill Muhlenberg, we're talking about clear vision. I remember when I first got my glasses, I've been wearing them for quite a few years now, I I decided I would go and get some glasses because when I was driving my car at night, Mm. Uh, discovered that I couldn't really see the road signs. It was probably not very safe. But you've had your own issues with mm-hmm. uh, getting some clear uh, eyesight. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I can give you both personal stories to that effect as well as some neat uh, spiritual uh, lessons and blessings as well. So let me tie a few together, if I may. Um, as I've said in some of my pieces, if you're born, say, with color blindness, and I'm, by the way, partially color blind, well, your view of reality will be different than those of others. You depend on other people to say, hey, there's this whole rainbow of color which you're missing. I mean, you can make uh, obvious lessons to, say, the atheist, you know, who thinks only the material, physical world is there. Well, it's like the guy born colorblind or worse yet, born blind. You know, he doesn't even see a whole part of the real world. He's very limited in his narrow view of life. So we as Christians, of course, are meant to have the full vision of things. Um, but it's you can get a lot of neat stories. And here's one that may just encourage you and your listeners as to my own eyesight. I've always had poor eyesight. I mean, very bad eyes early on. Uh, I had to get glasses. I forget, I don't know, second grade or something. You know, one of the first kids in class to have glasses. So, you know, people make fun of you for that kind of stuff. And they slowly got a bit worse over the years, my eyesight. So, in fact, lately I'd been getting really bad. And I thought, well, you know, why don't, you know, it's, I'm going to live with it. It's a life in a fallen world. Uh, one day I'll get to heaven, I'll have full eyesight, I'll be able to see everything wonderfully, and it'll be so neat. And uh, so I just was resigned to the fact it'd probably keep deteriorating and getting worse. And, you know, that's, well, you know, it'd be nice. You can pray and God restore my eyesight. But generally, you're you're kind of stuck with these things. So anyways, I was speaking at a church in Melbourne one Sunday, started to drive home after my talk. Uh, I saw three lanes of traffic coming my way. <laughs> you know, oops, I'm in the wrong, you know, I, I completely missed. There's a division in the road, and here I am driving, and three sets of cars are coming my way. Oops. I uh, did a quick prayer, did a quick turnaround, got back to where I should be, and then I realized, hmm, I think my eyes are really getting pretty bad. Even with glasses, they're getting pretty bad. So I went to an eye doctor, and he said, yeah, mate, you're, you're, you're not doing what – in fact, you're illegal. You should not be driving. Even with your glasses, your eyes are so bad, you shouldn't be on the road. 
So I thought, oh, dear, i got to speak all the time and drive everywhere. What am I going to do? So he gave me what could have been good or bad news. He said, you also have problems now with cataracts. So you need to get, you know, surgery for cataracts. But he said you can do laser surgery nowadays, get new lenses stuck in, which will not only deal with the cataracts, but it will deal with your bad vision. You'll be able to see good again. So that was kind of the good news. The bad news, we, of course, don't have uh, private health insurance where faith ministry, you know, got no money. So if you wanted to do it and do it quick, you had a goal to a, a private, you know, if you waited public health, they do one eye in maybe a year. Two years later, you might get the other eye done right, but then you'd be blind, you know. So you, you, you got to, so yeah, seven, eight thousand bucks all up yep. to get the eyes done, cataract surgery at a private clinic. So I thought, okay, Lord, we sure don't have seven, eight thousand. So I found myself next in Perth speaking at a church, evangelical church. Uh, I've got a lot of Facebook friends. So after I gave my talk, a Facebook friend came up to chat with me. Never met him in my life. He was a Facebook friend, actually a Catholic fellow. He had come to me to hear me at the church, Evangelical Protestant Church, came up to chat. So we had a quick chat. Oh, oh, Graham. Okay. okay. Once he introduced himself, that was the first time I met him in my life. I mentioned it briefly in passing my, you know, I'm going to do cataract surgery, need seven, eight thousand. And that was it. Went back to where I was staying. About an hour or two later, my mobile phone rings. It was Graham. He said, Bill, I've been thinking about your conversation about you need seven, eight thousand to get your eyes fixed. I want to give you seven thousand dollars to get your eyes done. You know, I almost fell out of my chair. I thought, you know, Lord, Lord. You know, this is so amazing. Some guy, I never met him before in my life. He's not even a Protestant, right? And he came up, had a chat. Two hours later, he's offering to pay my entire surgery bills. And I thought, God, you are so good and you're so amazing. And he do he does more than we ask or think, right? I figured I'd have to, you know, who knows what, beg, borrow, and steal. You know, how many local banks are close by we could <laughs> break into? <laughs> And here God, you know, out of nowhere gave us this money. So that was just a neat story about physical eyesight. But again, it ties in with the whole spiritual discussion. So the analogy, if we're comparing that to the idea of spiritual eyesight, uh, some people will say, is this something that I've just got deteriorating now? Mm. Perhaps I have never really felt that I've had spiritual eyesight. Mm. I've only ever had this sort of way of seeing things physically, and maybe that's an issue of my own heart. I wonder, Bill, where the start of good spiritual eyesight begins, mm -hmm. when the lens drops down and all of a sudden you see clearly. Mm. Uh, I'm thinking of the new birth, uh, but where do you think there mm. might be a starting point for people? Yeah. Well, no question. It has to be, you know, it begins there. You have to get saved, right? I mean, the Bible speaks of those who don't know the Lord as being dead in their trespasses and sins. So when you're dead, you can't do much of anything, including having good eyesight. You don't, you know, you're spiritually blind. So yeah, you have to get right with God, but that's just the beginning. Then there's the ongoing journey of growth and sanctification. The problem is, as I just told my son, I think a few days ago, I said, when's the last time you went to an eye doctor? And he said it was about five years. And I said, well, you know, the problem is, right, eyesight, like so many things, deteriorates slowly, imperceptively, incrementally. You don't know it, right? You just, you know, 
It may go downhill over a few years. You're not even aware that your eyes have gotten worse unless, as you said, you go to the eye doctor, you do the eye test. You won't know that actually over time my vision has gotten noticeably worse. Uh, So that's why you have to do periodic eye tests in the physical. And it's the same in the spiritual. It's so easy to drift along as a Christian and again, you don't notice your eyes, your your spiritual vision is is kind of going downhill. You're not seeing as you ought, but it's kind of business as usual. And I hate to say it, all of your buddies around you, all of your Christian friends, they kind of live the same way. They kind of talk the same way, and you think, oh well, I guess this is just the normal Christian life. But then you either go to the Word, and God really jumps out at you as you're reading. Or, as I say, you go to a place like Ghana and you say, wow, these guys are living on a different spiritual plane. They're not even in the same ballpark as we are in the West. They know what's going on. They're aware of the supernatural. They're dealing with this on a daily basis. And that shocks you, wakes you up, and it makes you ashamed. We've settled for second best so often in the West. We're so used to a kind of blasé, mediocre Christianity, we need some new eye tests. So again, whether it's comparing yourselves with those who are the real deal or asking God as you read the word, Holy Spirit, please speak to me. Am I spiritually myopic? Am I spiritually short-sighted? Do I need a, a new refresher in my eyes? Let me just take us into a little bit, uh, something a little left of field here. I, at one stage, uh, I knew a woman who was formerly a witch. And she was able to, and as she said, see things in the spirit. Mm-hmm. And this is not, um, Christians can do this sort of thing sometimes as well. But, uh, but some people can see spiritually what others cannot. How do we make sense of that in light of the scriptures, in light of the reality that we live in? Mm. Uh, Good question. And uh, as is so often the case, this may be a broken record for me, but I often speak about the biblical balance, right? It's easy to go off on extremes, uh, both sides of which can be unhelpful if it's true that probably a good bulk of our Christianity in the West is kind of uh, low-key, spiritually speaking, low-key in terms of power and walking in the supernatural where we all need a a good spiritual kick in the pants, I think. Uh, You know, it's always possible to go too far in the other direction. We all know of some that you could say are almost hyper spiritual, you know, they might see a demon under every rock and, you know, they've so gotten into it that, well, they can turn people off as well. So, as always, the biblical balance is what we have to strive for. There is indeed a spirituality. There is indeed a demonic host. Uh, in fact, it's just interesting. The other day I did in one of my articles, I, I talked about why is there so little power amongst God's people. And I just did a little quick interesting study. I said, how many times do we find the word power in the New Testament? So, you know, you can do it online, concordances. Use the NIV, I think I found 136 times where the word power is found. At least that's one English translation, right, of the various Greek terms. Dunamis would be one. Uh, 136 times in the New Testament, probably about 70 were used of Jesus or God, of course. But a good 30 or 40 were used of believers, you know, where Paul is often talking about, you know, walking in the power of the Spirit and walking in the power of the Lord. 
And then there's about another eight or nine, uh, all just found in Paul's letters where he talks about principalities and powers, spiritual strongholds. You know, these are all things that may sound a little bit too esoteric for us. We have no idea what it is. It doesn't really seem to impinge on our life. But Paul was very aware of the spiritual realm, and he was very aware, well, Ephesians 6, right, putting on the whole spiritual armor of God so that we can withstand the enemy. So, and again, C.S. Lewis said the same thing a long time ago, right? We have two equal and opposite extremes. One is to deny the reality of Satan altogether, and the other is to give him far too much emphasis. So again, we want to get the right biblical balance, but I think in the West, our problem tends to be we are under uh, rated or under, in terms of spiritual vision, about spiritual reality, about the supernatural, and we need more of that awareness of, you know, these are spiritual battles. Bill, ordinary people going along to their ordinary church on Sunday. I've heard this uh, of recent times, the idea that sometimes the obvious spiritual battles are actually kept under wraps because you have the pastor who is sometimes alerted to someone who is in the congregation and they've got a real spiritual issue here. Mm. Uh, Somebody in that conversation discerns that this issue of deliverance is necessary. And so you have these ideas of evil powers on one side, and we'll call them demons, and the power of God on the other side. And it is, and it seems to have, over the years, gone in sort of waves. There's a a wave of uh, a lot of people talking about deliverance ministry in church, and then it seems to die off for a little while, and then all of a sudden it's back, Mm. and people are getting delivered from demons. Uh, What are your thoughts here about this clash of what happens when the power of God comes into contact with the power of the demonic. Mm, yeah, another big and important issue. And as you say, the pendulum tends to swing. Uh, we can kind of go from one extreme to another or one emphasis to another. And that's, uh, well, looking at church history, you see that all the time. So once again, getting that balance right, uh, you know, there's a huge discussion and debate. You know, can a Christian, for example, be demon-possessed. Many would say, no, they can be oppressed and harassed by demons, but not possessed. That's another whole big theological discussion. We might need another hour on that one, but uh, there's no question that demons are real. They exist. Uh, They are sent to harass God's people, to stop the work of God. They target Christian leaders, but ordinary Christians as well. So we have to be aware of that reality and, you know, we have to be aware of how do we deal with some of these spiritual powers? What, you know, what can we do to withstand the enemy attacks? So that may involve learning new uh, tactics in spiritual warfare, being more discerning, more aware of the spiritual realities around us. Uh, you know, we can so easily dismiss things, well, I had a flat tire on the way to church or whatever, well... Michael Brown, our keynote speaker, uh, was supposed to be at all of our conferences this week. He didn't make it because of a government mess-up with visa problems, right? He didn't make it to Auckland, Melbourne, Sydney. He is here now. You'll see him this afternoon at uh, Brisbane. But, you know, the same thing. Is this just a government bungling bureaucrat? Well, yeah, that's certainly there. 
But maybe there's a spiritual battle taking place behind the scenes as well where we need to pray like mad. In fact, let me give you a very quick uh, story as well along these lines. Uh, just the day before I was due to speak at the Melbourne conference on whenever that was, Wednesday on the Tuesday, I was violently ill. I had a terrible flu, came out of nowhere. I was crying out to God, Lord, I feel terrible. Uh, you know, help, help. I'm just crying, Lord, I just feel wretched. And I'm supposed to speak in Melbourne, catch a flame, speak in uh, Brisbane. So I put it on Facebook, and I said, please pray. Obviously, I want God's touch. Uh, you know, a couple hundred people replied saying they're praying. Uh, come Wednesday, the next day, I was basically feeling fine, gave my talk in Melbourne, did my thing. I'm here now. So, you know, how much of that is just actual physical, you know, take your vitamin C, whatever, and how much of it is you better pray like mad because Satan does not want you to go out and speak. There's this idea, isn't it, that, uh, you know, one of the biggest deceitful things that the devil uh, does try to sow is that he's not there, that he doesn't exist. But let me take us just a little deeper into this whole thing. And uh, there are those scholars that can identify that 500 years ago, around the time of the Reformation, that there were uh, people were very spiritual. Uh, the belief in witches and goblins yeah, yeah, and yeah. superstitions that were very, very spiritual. And then in that 500 years, the development of a more secularized society, the idea that a humanist idea of, uh, of no spirituality only what's there in the physical, somehow or other has taken us to a point where some of those things that are ridiculous, like witches and goblins and superstitions, mm. uh, they have been brought to light and we can see them for what they are. But there's been a, uh, an effect that's overflowed that's caused some of us to be able to say, well, maybe, maybe God, maybe Christianity is in that same boat. Maybe, maybe that's all washed away as well. Mm. Something here as a caution, isn't there? Because uh, as believers in God and those who've experienced, many of us, the power of God in our lives, you don't want to be deceived here to say that somehow or other your Christianity is, is in the same boat as those other spiritualities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, spiritual discernment is a, an important part of what all Christians need to have, discerning the spirits we read about. Um, well, testing all things, I think Paul said we should do. So that includes, you know, a visiting speaker comes, gives a sermon. Well, you got to test what he said. Uh, the Bereans, right? Acts 17 were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they tested daily the things that Paul was saying. They held it up to Scripture. Even Paul, you know, if you get it wrong, sorry, bud, we've got a higher standard than even you. So we test doctrine, we test teaching, we test spiritual realities, um, things that are happening around us. Um, Well, especially when we live in a, you know, it's on the one hand a very anti-Christian Western world, but on the other hand a very religious spiritual world, right? Things like the New Age movement. You know, you got all millions of people fully into the new age, which is full of, you know, angels and angelic visitations and out of body travel. I mean, I was into some of this stuff as a non-Christian myself. So there you're up to your teeth in spiritual powers, spiritual realities. But obviously, as a Christian, we would say, wait a minute, test the spirits. There are good and bad spirits. There are demons masquerading, you know, Satan himself comes as an angel of light. 
So Christians of all people do have to be discerning. We do have to assess what's going on around us. We certainly wouldn't buy all the new age mumbo jumbo. Uh, but again, the other, uh, problem throwing the baby out with the bathwater where we think, oh, well, all that was for maybe the early church. You know, we're mature and sophisticated now. We don't need all this spiritual stuff. Well, if anything, we in the West, we need it more than ever, but of the right sort. A response from our Facebook page from Val who says, it is essential for Christians to be filled with the Spirit and to be open to going deeper into truth as the Spirit leads. God is going to bring us into all truth in these end-of-age days. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. A thought, mm-hmm. Val's written a few more things there, but uh, on those sorts of ideas, uh, being filled with the Spirit, yeah. this is itself a spiritual experience mm-hmm. that happens uh, you know, people might argue these things, but uh, from that day of our new birth, yep. uh, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell. Well, he's not going to be remaining quiet, is he? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And uh, again, we can get off on various theological debates. Uh, you know, some speak of, you know, you get the Holy Spirit at salvation, but there may be a further subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit that you need. You know, some people say that's true, some don't. Uh, and, and that can be a, a big discussion as well. I mean, simply looking at some of these passages, the key ones like in Ephesians, uh, you don't even have to be a Greek scholar to know that the real intent of some of these verses is really, well, the best translations will give it to you as something like, keep on being filled with the Spirit, right? It's not some one-off thing, either at salvation or some other special event, but it's almost a daily you know, you need to keep asking, Lord, keep filling me, keep using me, just as we have to keep dying to self, keep putting off the old man, keep uh, crucifying the flesh. You know, there's, it's, in fact, I just wrote a piece today on cooperating with God. Uh, salvation by grace through faith, it's all his work, the rest of your life, sanctification. God is working in us, but we are called to do so many things, so that includes the spiritual discernment. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, so we may need to, you know, Holy Spirit, uh, you know, I've grieved you. I ask for your forgiveness. Come and, you know, maybe refill me again, reuse me again, however, you know, whatever terminology you want to use it. So, yeah, there's no question it's a spiritual life, a spiritual battle. We cannot fight these things in the flesh. So depending fully on the power of the Holy Spirit and getting more of that if we can, uh, yeah, that's got to be a part of the equation. Kerry on Facebook says, The passage that reminds me to keep my spiritual glasses polished is Job chapter 1. The verses describing God talking to Satan, giving Satan limited permission to test Job, reminds me that my own life is also being directed with the same care on a plane that is very real, even if not visible. Uh, Powerful illustration there of the presence of those evil forces, and God's permission for those evil forces to even keep his children uh, on the, you know, keep us uh, keep us all in the game. No, absolutely. Very good point indeed, Carrie. I love that story, as we all do, of Job, the opening chapters, God testing Job. He doesn't know 
what's going on behind the scenes. There's a spiritual curtain in the way. All Job knows is he's getting a pretty raw deal, right? His home's burned down. His uh, fleet of Mercedes have all crashed. You know, his stock market, he's lost everything. You know, putting a bit of modern terminology here. He lost it all. He wasn't seeing the spiritual battle taking place in the heavenlies. And yet, in spite of all that, he had this tremendous trust in God, faith in God with so little revelation. He didn't have the whole Bible like we do. He didn't have the Holy Spirit like we do. Uh, Paul talks in Ephesians about, you know, how the church is on display before the powers and principalities. There's a whole kind of cosmic realm watching what you and I as Christians do. So just as, you know, God said, all right, you can test my servant Job, and that was kind of an example for all of us to see, hey, it's actually, we're, we're kind of Job as well. Again, you get the simple stuff. Your wife burns the toast in the morning. How do you respond? Do you chew her out? You idiot, that's the second day in a row you've burnt the toast. Or do you respond in grace and love? Guess what? It's not just you and your wife. There may well be this whole angelic host watching your every move, either cheering you on when you respond rightly or saying, oh, Bill, you not, you ninny, you, you know, you're not showing your wife much love here. So, you know, it's, it's a bigger picture. There's a spiritual realm out there. We are being watched. Uh, and you know, we have to be aware, just like Job didn't know the whole picture. We may not know it either, but we have to be aware it's out there. Bill, this idea of there being spiritual forces cheering us on. Uh, sometimes we'll hear people making reference to, well, you've got the number of demons that uh, fell with Satan, mm. uh, twice as many angels still yeah. in the atmosphere, but, uh, you know, are they lesser or more than the demons? Well, of course, uh, if you say there's twice as many, you've got to say they're twice as strong. Let's talk about confidence as Christian believers to make a stand and as we were reflecting a little earlier, having our eyes opened to know that those cheering forces around us are bigger than the cheering forces coming against us. What are your thoughts here? No, it's a good point. And often that one-third, two-third division is given by, you know, several passages. We can make that case. Uh, whatever that may be, yeah, we do have God cheering us on. We do have the angelic realm cheering us on. We do have the saints who have gone before. Again, we read about that in Hebrews, right? Uh, this great cloud of witnesses. Uh, so whether it's the departed saints of old sitting there, and there's Bill. He's driving down the highway. Is he going to curse out the guy who's just cut him off on the left lane? Or is he going to show grace and forgiveness? There is a, you know, there's a, there's kind of a spiritual spectator gallery watching what I do, what Neo does, what we all do. So, again, having that awareness, that's one thing, knowing that we have angels on our side, God on our side. So we don't want to minimize either. There is a real devil. There are real demons who are doing horrific things. But there's a real God, praise God, real angelic host who is there to help, to give us the victory. And, you know, too often we settle for second best. Too often we do settle for a defeated life. And let me give you one more plug. You really need, you really do need to show up tonight at the Church and State Conference. I mentioned Bindi uh, Kolchaka. Uh, amazing, amazing testimony. Her mother was a drug addict and prostitute. She was hooked on drugs from the age of 13. Uh, mind you, I told my friend Terry I was on drugs at 15. He said he was on drugs at 12, so we're all basket cases when it comes to that. But her story, so amazing. You know, she was 
a drug addict for years. She was in prison in England for two years. She sued Andrew Bolt as a lefty. Now she's a Christian, a conservative, and in fact, her title is something like victor instead of victim. You know, the whole left is about victimhood, and I'm a victim. I'm oppressed, and you know, the, that's the real scenario of the left. And she's, she was fully into that. You know, I'm the victim. I was raped. I was abused. I had all this happen to me. I could chew out everybody, white men, the whole system. And she's thrown it all away. She's found new life miraculously in Christ. An amazing testimony. You need to get to that conference just to hear Bindi's story. The idea of a testimony, it's so powerful and it illustrates what happens when these powers of darkness come under submission to this power of God. And when someone tells their testimony, you're affirming the truth that we've seen described in the Gospels and through the book of Acts and the growth of the early church. And so when we come back to the scriptures, we're affirmed in the authority of what we're reading about those things. Bill, running out of time, just quickly though, on the difference that it makes to the life of a believer when you live your life understanding that there is a an armed array in the spirit that is on our side. What are your thoughts here just quickly? Well, it's not just understanding, that's crucial, but experiencing. You need both. You need to be aware there is spiritual war. We need God's spiritual help. We do experience it. And the easiest illustration, right, you might have a great new, brand new car. It's got no petrol. You know, you can make it move. You've got to get out and with 10 of your friends. You can push it. It'll work that way. But guess what? The car is not designed to go without petrol. Your life is not designed to go without the Holy Spirit and the supernatural awareness. You're going to live a substandard, in fact, a defeated life. You need God. You need this understanding and you need the experience. Well, let me point people to how, if you're in southeast Queensland or northern New South Wales, you can get to that church and state summit. It is on tonight and it's on tomorrow at Springwood. It's churchandstate.com.au. In actual fact, it starts in just about an hour or so's time. So, uh, But if you can get to the evening session, if this is the first you've heard of it, churchandstate.com.au to register and be a part of it. And I might just uh, reflect. Uh, The people who are speaking at this summit, it's not just a bunch of preachers. As much as preachers are important, what you'll hear at the summit are a bunch of activist Christians who are not necessarily leading churches but are actively on the cutting edge of making a defense for faith in the culture war, in the challenges that are going on in the nation. And something that you will catch when you go there is something of the spirit of what you can do as a Christian believer and make a difference not only in your own community, but how you even can make a difference in the nation. Bill Muhlenberg's been our guest over this past hour. And let me point you to Bill's website, billmuhlenberg.com. You can simply Google Culture Watch. You might want to check on some of those articles we've been talking about, the need for improved spiritual vision, and where is the power of God. Uh, And uh, thanks to everyone who responded on Facebook. Uh, Let me just point you one more time, churchandstate.com.au for those listeners in southeast Queensland and in northern New South Wales. And for those who are further afield in every state and territory around Australia, from what I understand, there may be an opportunity for you to live stream 
the conference, the summit, as it goes. You'll need to check that website for how you can do that. And if you can't live stream the conference, you can actually register to have all of the elements of the conference, all of the speakers, uh, available to you very shortly after. So it's not something that is just localised. You can access this right around Australia. Bill Muhlenberg, thanks so much for taking some time to drop in and share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Great to be here. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.